This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com, where you can listen, binge listen to your heart's content. We are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, I'm joined by Chris Ryan, my trusty sidekick, the, the sports doyen of the world, a great father to his kids. He takes them to baseball camps. He takes them to Cooperstown. takes them to Red Sox training. Those kids are growing up with baseball in their blood and Frankly, folks, the Red Sox are six games, maybe more now, ahead of the Yankees. The last time I looked, it was six. Uh-oh, things have gone south. What is it now? Five. It's uh, five and a half going Okay, into the, five uh, and a half. Big series this weekend. There you go. So, you know, I've been away from this microphone for a couple of weeks. I've been traveling around the country. I went to Columbus, Ohio to try to save the Democratic How's Party. How's John Kasich doing? John Kasich is doing fine. I, he wasn't at this confab, which was posted by, hosted by the Third Way, a think tank in Washington that I guess is kind of a progressive centrist think tank. Progressive values, but recognizes that we live in a regulated capital market society and economy, and we got to bring the two together to find some ways derisively derided by progressives as the Clinton Democrats. Because, you know, here we are, here in New Hampshire, it's election season, and Molly and Steve are are out there on the Democratic side uh, talking about what makes them special for the Democratic gubernatorial election. Rudy Tutti Giuliani. Rudy, Rudy Giuliani is here with those teeth, sucking those teeth and, 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 and out there campaigning for Eddie Edwards and warning people that if the Democrats, those evil Democrats, take Congress, they will impeach the greatest president with the greatest inaugural crowds and the strongest policies of all time, stealthy F-35 Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump, I have to say, Donald Trump is a piece of work. He apparently, according to a recent study, a nonpartisan recent study, lies 78% of the time. 78%, That's just not possible. 78% of what he says is a lie. For example, in talking about the F-35 stealth bomber, a boondoggle if there ever was one, it's a plane that goes up straight, it turns around like a helicopter, it takes off, it flies, um, and it has radar which jams opposing radar so you can't see it. It's a, it was a multi-billion dollar boondoggle that many in Congress fought against. But of course, it got built because that's the way we do things in America. But Donald Trump keeps insisting that the F-35 is invisible. He says it's invisible. What He's wrong. But what is not invisible are Donald's tweets. And the latest tweets 
are pretty, pretty outrageous. He said the other day in a tweet that it was time for Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, the head of the independent Justice Department, it was time for Jeff Sessions to end the rigged witch hunt once and for all. Now, this tweet came hard on the heels of the first day of testimony in the trial uh, of his former campaign manager and Ukrainian darling, Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort, great, great, great friend of Russia, great friend of the Ukraine, great friend of all dictator. He made millions and millions of dollars from, from us. We love him. He love us. And then he go to our big boy friend, Donald. We so happy to have him running that campaignski because Donald Trump Polthinski is our boy. You remember that, that comrade Putin said, Comrade Putin said publicly, not on the transcript released by Donald Trumpeltinsky, but he said in debate at summit, he said, we wanted Donald Trumpeltinsky to win election. And of course, what he did not admit candidly, openly, but kind of inferred because he said it slightly. Who's, who's speaking right now? Well, he is a commentator on RFT, Russian, <laughs> Russian F television. I thought it was Putin, but they were talking about Putin. I no, got no, all no, confused. talking about okay. Putin. I'm commenting uh, about okay. Putin because I am a commentator got for it. Russian television. And he did say slightly that maybe somebody did. Maybe somebody did interfere, but of course he was not. Putinsky, because he specialized in denial, denial, denial. But Donald Trumpeltinsky, he loves him, and Paul Manafort is on trial. So Donald, uh, Donald Trumpeltinsky, or Comrade Donald, as he's affectionately now known uh, in the uh, Russian uh, uh, biosphere, um, went off uh, on, a, on a rant-filled twit, tweet fest, which is not unusual. But this one seems to kind of come close to obstruction of justice um it it required his 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 spokesperson his news spokesperson that voluble sanders um huckabee sanders um to to deny that it was an order she denied it in that in the way that only she can i'm here to deny that donald trump said anything that could be called an order it was merely expressing an opinion and uh he was merely expressing an opinion and and of course it lit up the internet what is with a president who, against all advice, keeps is simply a pathological liar and keeps on trying to shoot himself in the foot? Maybe he doesn't really want the job. Although, from the look of it, it looks like he, he kind of likes the power, he likes the privilege, but maybe he wants to be taken down on obstruction of justice. Donald Trump is a very uh, complex individual. And um, trying to... Uh ascertain as to what his feeling and philosophy is on doing things is a fool's errand. So let's not uh, let's not drive ourselves insane here the remaining bit of this um, this segment. Um, Hello. My name is is Sigmund Freud. I am here <laughs> I am Sigmund Freud. I am here to to psychoanalyze Donald Trump. He is on my couch right now. He's twitching on, on the couch. I, I see him there. Wait, I'm going to bring him. I'm bringing him hamburgers. He will be much happier. So with, uh, the, with the president, I mean, we are in a place where 
tweets like that, or what I thought was even more bizarre, was the uh, was the collusion is not a crime, and I have committed no. But it doesn't matter because I haven't committed any collusion. So what's the point of of the former if the latter is true? So why why are we why are you out there saying the collusion is not a crime? My if name, no- I'm Rudy Tudi Giuliani, and I'm here to tell you that collusion. Collusion is not a crime. They, no, it's not anywhere in the federal criminal code that it says collusion is a crime. So you can't find it. Therefore, it's not a crime. If collusion isn't a crime, then Donald Trump can do anything he wants. And that's the legal advice I've now given him. But again, if you haven't committed any collusion and there's no reason to be concerned in regards to collusion, what is the point of whether collusion is a crime or not? It's like that's there's so many so many things here which just you just boggle the mind and you know to what is a i mean remember back to the clintons where the demands what the the definition of is is and i believe that the clintons to a large degree have led us to this type of environment where we are right now now this is like that on steroids like i think we've ever seen before but um you know what is an opinion versus what is a a a directive i mean that type of an argument being pushed forth is crazy. You know, if if somebody says and you have the power to make something to, to happen and you're offering an opinion which can be construed as a directive since it was not actually presented as an opinion, is just kind of left out there, it is it is somewhere in that legal realm where that is that is gray area, but it is also clear that if you have the power to make something happen, you are the president of the United States and you are saying what you want to happen, you are addressing it to someone it's not like he's just saying just saying well it'd be great if this Mueller investigation ended <laughs> it wasn't like that it was directed at a individual so it may be an opinion but if it's an opinion directed at an individual that you have the ability to fire is that obstruction of justice well you know this is rather shakespearean and i'm going back into my theatrical archives to think about uh, Shakespearean play, I, I believe it's Julius Caesar. You will recall that Julius Caesar was was the emperor of Rome and was the subject of a play by William Shakespeare. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing now on stage, something like, will no one rid me of this man? And in fact, uh, soon people did rid him of that man. And uh, in other historical context, text. It's also been said, for instance, Henry VIII said it as well, nobody rid me of this man, and sure enough, the lords drew their swords and rid him of the man. Thus, one can conclude that in the, in the, in the fine tradition of emperors and kings, Donald Trump speaks uh, with authority when he says it's time for Sessions to shut down this rigged witch hunt. The rigged witch hunt, by the way, folks, which has produced how many indictments? Uh, 26 and Russians. Recently, recently Russia, Russians indicted Democrats and, indicted as well. Tony I'm, Podesta, uh, uh, former Obama official. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's nuts to call it a rigged witch hunt. But this idea that you can, you can order sessions to do something by tweet, which is the only f- method of communication apparently that Donald Trump employs, is public tweet. He, d- he doesn't know how to pick up. Why doesn't he just pick up the phone quietly and say, hey, Jeff, by the way, Jeff, Jeff, if you value your job, Jeff, uh, 
why don't you why don't you just shut the thing down? Get rid of Rosenstein. Get rid of Mueller. Would you would you please just shut it down? And Jeff could say, "Well, Mr. President, I'm not sure that I can do that." And then, of course, we <laughs> we go we go to the we go to the next we then go to the next step. But the the notion of ordering his people to do things by tweets is just it's bizarre. We we haven't seen anything like that. And you combine this voluble tweet storm with pathological lying. Um, that, I mean, simply pathological. There's no other way to characterize it. And the fact that it's endless, endlessly fascinating to those of us in the fake media. And by the way, the, you know, let's let's face it, folks. This is totally fake media. Um uh, because we're on the radio, we're speaking publicly, we're voicing our opinions, and therefore it's got to be fake media. We're not reporting the news accurately because Trump's supporters, he, he really all he does is pander to his base. He's not really interested in, in speaking to anybody else. And I don't, know, I don't know where it gets him, but I'm sure that Mueller, I mean, Robert Mueller has all his tweets. Um, it's time. It's, uh, and, you know, rather than shut down uh, the Mueller investigation. I'm hoping that Mueller uh, gets more prosecutors, acquires more evidence, and presents a slam dunk, irrefutable case of the unfitness and impeachability of Donald Trump. In my dreams, I fall to my knees each night and put my little head on my pillow, wishing uh, for such a result. But meanwhile, folks, Get involved in the election. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. We'll be back in just a bit to talk with Chase Hageman of the Concord Coalition about what's going on with our economy and deficit spending. We'll see you in just a bit. Don't go away. Just like 30 seconds. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL Amen FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord. Well, what a day it's been here on Off the Record. We visited many international actors to talk about Donald Trump and his pathological approach to the truth, which is contraindicated, i.e. he's a pathological liar. And we interviewed Chase Hageman of the Concord Coalition to fig- try to figure out why do Republicans want to drive us into deficits? We can't figure it out. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Thanks to our great sponsor, the Birches at Concord. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode dun, 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 of Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Welcome back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge-listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome back to Off the Record. Record, 
a radio host extraordinaire, the regional director of the Concord Coalition here in New Hampshire, Chase Hageman, who has his own show, and we are now here, host to host, tet a tet, mano a mano, on Off the Record, to talk about spending and deficits and the economy and Donald Trump's approach to fiscal responsibility. Paul, thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be back. Uh, A little too much flattery there. I think you were angling to bolster the radio station's listenership because we're both on WKXL. So rising tide lifts all boats. I appreciate the the shout out there. I mean, why not? I mean, what, what what else is there but lifting all boats? Because that certainly seems to be the idea and the only idea behind the Republican economic approach. Now let me let's go back into the wayback machine. Here we go listeners. That's the wayback machine. And way back when How old am I in this wayback machine? I don't know, but you're you're now in diapers, man, man. You are you're like you're like a you're like a babe in swaddling clothes away in the manger. I've taken Chase Hageman back back to the beginning of time. Let's talk about the time when Republicans were known as the party of fiscal responsibility. And I remember I, when I was running for Congress, I um, uh, took up the mantle of fiscal responsibility because in New Hampshire, fiscal responsibility has always been something that is prized by New Hampshire voters. We are a for lack of a better term, a frugal state, a state that watches its pennies carefully, that has a perennial uh, challenge to uh, make sure that our um, wish to spend money uh, and invest matches what we bring in in revenue. And a lot of people think we're challenged as to the way we bring in revenue. Uh, But anyway, New Hampshire's always been a frugal place and known for its frugality from early colonial days. The Yankees uh, who uh, made New Hampshire, New Hampshire, were parsimonious to say the least. So when I went off to Congress, I, even though I'm a Democrat, folks, get this, even though I'm a Democrat, I carried the banner of fiscal responsibility because I've always thought that You can't do for people what you want to do for people as a government uh, if you're not responsible as a government with people's tax money and if you're not um, balancing things as well as you can. And the Republicans were fierce advocates in those old days in the Wayback Machine of fiscal responsibility. They were deficit hawks. They blasted Democrats again and again and again for tax and spend, tax and spend, which meant uh, they were trying to saddle Democrats with the mantle of fiscal irresponsibility in just raising taxes and spending money. But now, back to the future, here we are, and everything is topsy-turvy. So the Republicans who now control the White House, the Congress, the Senate, by Congress, I mean the House of Representatives, passed this massive tax cut. And the massive tax cut was promised to to raise wages. It was promised that this tax cut would lift all boats, that it would create a rising tide that would lift all boats. Now, 
what it has meant, apparently, so far, is that we're projecting a $1 trillion-plus annual deficit, projecting adding $10 trillion in the next few years to the national debt, which is already at an unimaginable $20 trillion-plus national debt. Apparently, corporations have been using the money they got in the tax cut to buy back stock, not to raise wages of their workers. Uh, what's going on? What, what happened to the grand old party? Why do we even have to talk about this? How could the grand old party give a tax cut to wealthy individuals and corporations, which 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 take the deficit into the 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 gravitational black hole of the galaxy of irresponsibility what's going on well first of all paul i've got to catch up because you just covered about 10 different topics and probably th- three different decades uh, so i guess i'll i'll give the incredibly unsatisfactory nonpartisan answer and that is the reality Uh, neither party has really been the party of fiscal responsibility when they're in the majority. Uh, Typically what happens is you'll see one party become the new majority and they'll have certain uh, spending uh, priorities or tax priorities and they'll work to you know see those through and then of course the minority party will then respond by saying well you're spending too much money or deficits are growing or that sort of thing so my perspective is this is an issue of leadership across the board and political convenience uh, but it is getting out of hand like you just mentioned we the latest uh, set of tax cuts um, that came out of Congress and the White House added about one or will add about 1.3 trillion dollars to national deficits over the next decade and and that's not isolated that's in addition to about 10 trillion dollars of deficits over that same time frame so it's simply making matters worse Uh, so i think your question was how did we get here i would say uh, a failure to stand up for what's necessary uh, in the face of political uh, backlash or, or inconvenience you know i am I am not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, and have never been opposed to the idea of a corporate tax cut, as long as the corporate tax cut um, reasonably dealt with repatriation of cash held overseas, that it made help make corporations more competitive, that with a tax cut for the corporate tax rate that. Um, uh, appropriately progressive measures were taken to recapture income that would otherwise uh, be lost that perhaps would be now earned by CEOs and others uh, because of a corporate uh, tax cut. I don't I didn't see all those appropriately uh, progressive measures uh, in the new uh, in the tax cut package, which did give a massive tax cut to corporations. And just to that point, uh, I think I saw a statistics. It might have been this morning. Uh, corporate tax receipts are down only about one point three percent of GDP, and I want to say that's close to a seventy five year low. Obviously, there's. Uh, hills and valleys in that, but it's on the decline in terms of how much we're collecting uh, in, in corporate taxes, as you point out. So, I mean, you know, and, and those who who want to see American corporate 
uh, business back in America to rebuild the social compact between uh, the business community and the people, uh, which let's just remember back to the Wayback Machine, it used to be that major corporations in the United States employed American workers. Uh, there were few a few multinational corporations. Uh, we made stuff here. Um, the corporations paid their workers a living wage, which built the middle class. Um, we sold our stuff around the world. Um, and uh, the CEOs of those corporations did not make 600 times what the average worker was making. I mean, there was, there was a little bit more balance, and it built a strong middle class in this country, which, um, frankly, got used to uh, earning a living wage, having the opportunity to earn uh, a good life and a, and a living wage, and especially since about 1970 with uh, globalization, with changes in transportation, changes in the flow of income, um, uh, 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 changes in the flow of information, and now with pressures— and Probably income, too. Probably income, too. Well, and over those years, I mean, we've seen the top 1% do great and 99% run in place. And but but now we're also facing pressures from automation and artificial intelligence, which uh, pl which promise to completely change the landscape of the American economy. Um, and I don't see anybody really thinking about how to adjust to that. Certainly on the Republican side, I just don't see it. I do hear Democrats beginning uh, a slight mutter about how are we going to deal with the economy of the future, which, by the way, is already here. And then we look at the challenges of the demo the demographic challenges that my generation the baby I'm a proud baby boomer the uh, I'm a proud millennial so yeah. we're at odds here <laughs> there you go but the challenges that the demographic bulge pose um, for our economy are serious and nobody is really talking about those I haven't heard Democrats talk about it I haven't heard Republicans talk about it how do you explain that and also just give our listeners a just a sense of that pie chart um, and and why Social Security and Medicare and the baby boom demographic is an issue so I'll, I'll work in reverse order a little bit there Paul um, on the timing of addressing these issues you talked about how the future of our economy is probably already here and how we're able to interact with that and adjust to it uh, is impacted greatly by the composition of our federal budget. So, for instance, you mentioned the pie chart, mandatory spending, uh, which is primarily Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and you can probably lump in interest on the debt there is about two thirds of the federal budget. That means Why is it called mandatory? What, so, what makes it mandatory? Mandatory is like thou shalt. Uh, not thou might well, or thou may. In a sense, it is thou shalt because the spending in that category is written into law. So it is pre-said or pre-ordained by formulas that uh, interplay with demographic shifts like you were mentioning. So, for instance, mandatory spending is growing. So we'll use Medicare and Social Security as primary examples. Spending in that area is growing for a couple reasons. One, it's a huge demographic shift. So when you have a formula for a certain level of benefits for Social Security, 
the formula won't necessarily change, but how much is being paid out for the entire population will because the population that is receiving the benefit is growing. In Medicare's case, it's not only that, but also a constant growth in, in health care costs per capita. So we're seeing this sort of uh, dynamic duo of demographic shift and cost growth that is causing those two programs especially to grow. Uh, the other aspect of, uh, oh, and another note on mandatory spending, it doesn't change unless Congress were to um, reform the law that underpins it. So, for instance, uh, discretionary spending, which is the other piece of the pie, uh, is part of the appropriations process. So that is the a- aspect of the federal budget that Congress gets to play with on a year-in and year-out basis, whenever it actually decides to play with it. I mean, the, that process has been broken for quite a while, and that is... Uh, all of our domestic investment and defense spending, and it's a third of the budget and shrinking. Wait a second. Wait a second. Nobody understands that. Nobody. I mean, you can say that over and over again, and nobody gets it. Everybody, I mean, the Democrats uh, complain about defense spending because, in fact, folks, we spend m- uh, more on defense. I think it's something like. Seven hundred and seven hundred and some seven hundred forty-three billion dollars. Yeah, it went up, it went up last year, but it was around between six and seven hundred billion. Okay, so six or seven hundred billion dollars a year on defense spending to keep our nation safe and strong. And meanwhile, uh, Russia and China combined spend about two hundred and twenty-five billion dollars on their defense spending. I think China's at about 167, Russia's at about 70. So we could talk about trends in spending as well, but you're right, in nominal value we spend a lot more. Yeah, I mean we so we spend more than the rest of the world combined basically. Um, and that's always that's a favorite saw of Democrats, and it's really important to cut out waste. And believe me, when I was in Congress, the kind of waste and fraud that I saw around defense spending was significant. And many complain, and rightly so. Well, that the, the Pentagon, I think, said last year they could remove about 20% of their infrastructure, their either bases or equipment, and be just fine. But no one, no one is acting no, on that. Nobody listens. And in fact, folks, we're in a, we're in a world of completely different kinds of threats um, because, as we recall, the uh, twin towers of the World Trade Center were taken down by guys with box cutters. But let's take a break. Uh, because um, we have another another segment to do. We're going to take a break for some important messages. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join the tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. We're talking with Chase Hageman of the Concord Coalition, a WKXL host and a well-informed guy. And we'll be back after this. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. Join 
my dozens of listeners who are binge listening to Off the Record. How do I know? People tell me. And we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. And I'm very pleased to welcome back Chase Hageman of the Concord Coalition here in New Hampshire, working to raise awareness and do something about burdensome deficits. Well, Chase, when we when we took a break, I was uh, on a little bit of a tear about military spending. That's no surprise to me. You go on tears all the time. Yeah, Paul. I know. I mean, I it's it's one of it's 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 why I've got this microphone. But it's and, why you're entertaining to listen to. Well, there you go. But anyway, I mean, you know, so we've got a um, a a 20th century military. Um, which uh, really needs to modernize for very different kinds of threats. They could cut an enormous amount from the military budget. But even if we cut a huge amount from the military budget, it's seven, let's call it $700 billion. Let's just say that we slashed that budget to $500 billion. And let's, we took $200 billion there. And, and that out of discretionary spending, i.e. that which catches all the headlines, that around which all campaigns center, which is the nickels and dimes uh, of the federal budget that are spent on on all the stuff that is really visible. Um, and let's say we cut another $100 billion out of that, putting uh, many programs at risk and causing great pain to people. We'd still have a serious deficit problem because, as Chase points out, two-thirds of the federal budget, folks, two-thirds of the federal budget is on autopilot, i.e. it's not appropriated by Congress. It's on autopilot. It's just running on the tracks. And those big programs are Social Security and Medicare, which are suffering a demographic bulge. You've got this huge number of baby boomers who are retiring. Um, they've paid into Social Security, and now it's time uh, for, to, for pay to, to pay up and pay out. Uh, they are needing increasing amounts of health care uh, because we all want to stay healthy and vibrant. Um, and these days we're staying healthy and vibrant much longer. Uh, and health care costs are, are, are on the rise anyway. And then we've got interest on this debt because our national debt is $20 trillion plus and going north. Um, and so we're paying a huge amount of the federal budget for uh, interest on the debt to foreign foreign actors um, who are uh, holding holding our debt. So that's an interesting point, Paul. About forty eight percent of our publicly held debt, which is uh, about seventy eight percent of our economy right now, is actually held by foreign investors, whether that's nations or or entities. Uh, but I, I want to piggyback off of a few things you just said before we go too far down the line. And that a while ago, you said that not too many candidates or people and leaders in Congress are talking about these issues. And, and I, I tend to agree because it is a politically toxic issue, especially when you're referring to Social Security and Medicare. However, on our radio show, we're interviewing candidates for Congress in New Hampshire. And our show is entirely about fiscal policy. And many of them are uh, What's the name of that show, It's Chase? called Facing the Future. Right. Where'd that name come from? <laughs> uh, actually, it came from you, Paul. Uh, you were the uh, brainchild of the name of the show, so thank you very much. It's been a big hit with all the candidates. But back to my main point. Uh, 
current candidates are at least starting to talk about this. So that gives me some hope that future leaders are really going to take these issues seriously. To your other point about discretionary spending and cutting from defense and, say, lopping it over to mandatory spending to address some of those issues, you're right. If we did something that's a one-off, you know, cost kill to try and, you know, adjust revenues on the part of the budget that grows automatically in an era where we have almost trillion-dollar deficits already. So that's uh, a one-year splash in the pan uh, when you need holistic long-term reform. And that gets to my next point, which mean, which is the Conquer Coalition isn't advocating for getting rid of Social Security and Medicare. Uh, it is advocating for making them sustainable for the current and future generations. We're not saying, you know, cut out that two-thirds of the budget and we'll be hunky-dory. It's obviously an important program. Both of them are uh, very much ingrained in our society and our culture. Uh, but we're not taking the threats to those programs seriously enough to the point where within 15 years, both will see significant hardship. Social Security itself could see a 24% benefit cut by 2034 if we just sit back and ignore it. So, And every year we wait to make adjustments or changes or reforms. It's more difficult to adjust for that eventual cut. You know, with my partisan hat on, I can't help but think that given that the Republicans have waged war against what they call entitlement program, saying it, which is a name designed to, to cause your hearts to flutter and your stomachs to turn over in disgust at the idea that government is just giving handouts to people, their entitlement programs. Well, actually, with Social Security, people have paid in. It's like an insurance policy where people have paid in for their lifetimes. And when they retire, uh, hopefully, uh, they can retire with some dignity and support from the money they have paid in to Social uh, Security. And Medicare simply is a smart idea for keeping uh, el elderly and others healthy and productive. Um, it's uh, frankly, healthcare is one of those things in which I believe government uh, should invest for the benefit of all the people and the economy. We'll put aside that um, uh, that large issue, but the Republicans have been at war with the entitlement programs for as long as I can remember, wanting to slash them and burn them and get rid of them and privatize them and expose them to risk. And you know, you can argue till the cows come home about uh, the benefits of of different approaches. But in some measure, it strikes me that. Uh, and and th and this is with my partisan hat on. So let's fully admit that it's a partisan approach. But you say, okay, what could possibly uh, be behind this idea of this massive tax cut at a time when the economy, um, having suffered a tremendous blow in 2007 and 2008, um, has uh, recovered quite a bit? at a time when the stock market is on the rise, at a time when unemployment, um, because of policies uh, of the Obama administration, had reached record lows both here in New Hampshire and nationally, at a time when there would seem to be no need for a massive tax cut, um, uh, but, you know, maybe targeted relief and adjustment. Um, the What's behind it, perhaps, is being able to say, okay, now we have these deficits, we've got to deal with them, we're going to slash 
entitlement programs. We're going to slash Medicare and Social Security. Old people, those in need, let's just kick them to the curb. We don't need those programs anyway. Let's figure out how to make people rich. We'll privatize them. We'll privatize Social Security. It'll be a bonanza for uh, hedge funds, for stockbrokers, for investment banks, all those people who keep fat cats happy. Um, Let's just get rid of them because, you know, folks, uh, grow old and just die. So, I mean, you know, that seems to be the death march uh, that Republicans are after. I, I, Chase well, we, we is, folks, you can't see him, but <laughs> Chase is convulsed in laughter. He thinks that I'm being extreme. No, no, I, I'm, I'm, I was laughing more at the just go away and die aspect of what you just said. And, you know, our mantra in this state is live free or die. So I guess it's not too far off or extreme. I will say, uh, Paul, to everything you just said, and I, I take my I don't have a partisan hat in this particular instance because I'm you know, working for a bipartisan organization, and I could make par- partisan points on either side to balance that. But I will say that most uh, economists agree that this was the wrong time for a massive tax cut. Not necessarily the wrong time for a massive tax overhaul or some kind of reform to the tax code, but the degree to which it, it sacrificed revenue uh, at a time when we have growing budget deficits. So, yes, wrong time. Uh, Wrong time, wrong place. Chase has just had a a massive brain cramp, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. I have never seen Chase Hageman go speechless. I mean, I thought that was really the preserve of old farts like me, (laughs) where all of a sudden words escape us. Our vocabulary dries up like a creek on a hot summer day. Uh, But this is a first on, on Off the Record. But... And I got, I've got nothing for it. It was it was absolutely a brain fart. I was mid thought, and it just it floated just away. it just disappeared. So so we know it was the wrong time for the tax cuts. Um, and oh, I remember. Oh wait, I've got wait, it back. He's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got to have a sound effect for that. Yeah, you should. I'll give you approval Chase now to go back. Hagerman is back <laughs> <laughs> on solutions on reform. Uh, on partisanship. There are many, many bipartisan solutions to these challenges. You don't have to put on a partisan hat to reform programs like Social Security and Medicare. There are bipartisan opportunities that have been discussed for the last 20 to 25 years. The issue is a failure to act on them, and we could debate all night long as to what the motivation is for that. Uh, I don't want to do that, but you could debate the motivation. The, The reality is There are bipartisan solutions. They are actionable if you have the right leadership willing to do it. Folks, there are elections coming up, and I want to urge all of you, all of you who are listening um, live on the radio, streamed at nhtalkradio.com, archived if you pick up the show afterwards, I want to urge all of you to get involved in these upcoming elections. Um, Whichever side of the debate about financial responsibility, fiscal responsibility, um, and uh, appropriate economic measures. Um, Ask your candidates. Ask your candidates at all levels. Um, Hold their feet to the fire about what 
what they think about deficits, what they think about reform to important programs, and see if they have proposals. See if you can find a candidate um, who's creative about it. Ask them. Uh, don't, don't let this opportunity go by because this elections are our opportunity to really uh, ask con- candidates what they think because there are reasonable solutions that ought to appeal to members of both parties uh, because everybody ought to rise above party and politics in a situation like this, put country first, and um, figure out how to solve these issues. On Social Security, for example, it seems to me pretty reasonable to raise the cap on uh, the contribution from the payroll tax um, that people make. You'd capture more higher income um, a tax revenue, um, which would um, perhaps offset this massive tax cut we've just seen. It would not harm those who are already paying in at a certain level, but it would capture a more income from more higher level people. That's one potential solution. On Medicare, well, frankly, Medicare, um, we could uh, do a lot on health care to lower all health care costs with a public option in the Affordable Care Act. Um, and ultimately moving towards some form of fiscally responsible Medicare for all. There are solutions. Ask your candidates. Don't let this opportunity go by. Chase, thanks for talking with us here on Off the Record uh, with Paul Hodes. We really appreciate your visit. Happy to be here, Paul. Thanks so much. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com, and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. We'll be back after a short break to wrap up this exciting edition of Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Don't go away.